Our scripture passage for today comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. And this is the passage on the transfiguration. Let us hear God's word to us. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. But a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone, and the disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This week when I started writing the sermon for this text, I was thinking about how to see God. Maybe, maybe, because I've been wanting to see God. We've been dealing with some challenging situations lately, and I have been wanting to see God. Maybe you find yourself in that boat, too. People are dying, people are moving, marriages hitting rough patches, carrying the weight of what to do or what not to do, challenging situations. So I was reading this text looking for a list in some ways on how to see God, how to have one of those life-changing, inspiring encounters with God. First, climb the mountain. Easy enough. Second, pray. That seems to make pretty good sense. Third, don't fall asleep or you'll miss it. That's what we learn. This laundry list of how we get God to show up because I want to see God's face. I want that in your face, fills you head to toes, blows your socks off experience with God. But you know, a mountaintop like this one, this transfiguration, this one happens once in Jesus' entire ministry. Just once. The disciples get this incredible vision of Jesus with his face changed and his clothes flashing with lightning, and not even all the disciples get to see that. Only three of them. Just once. They go up the mountain and they get this revelation. So it makes me wonder how many other times, how many times the disciples climbed other mountains hoping to see these sparks. I wonder how many times after Jesus ascended into heaven when they were walking the long road of faith and they were missing Christ, I wonder how many times they climbed a mountain hoping for a cloud to appear and to hear the voice. 
I have been hoping. But I don't think you can make it happen. Once Moses was the greatest hero God had, and Moses went up the mountain, and God let Moses see his face. Moses was allowed to catch a glimpse of God. God tucked him in a rock, covered Moses with his hand, and the wind and fire passed before his eyes. And when Moses came down from that mountain, his face had changed, and he was shining with brilliance. This was not the only time Moses talked to God or the only time he heard from God, but it was the only time like that. We don't know how many other mountains Moses must have climbed looking for the fire and the wind, and they didn't come. So it makes sense that Peter, oh sweet Peter, wants it to last forever. He wants to somehow keep this moment immoralized forever, but the cloud comes and the moment is over because you cannot make it happen. You see, I'll be honest, I want to read this story on the Transfiguration and have a how-to on making God show up. Climb the mountain, pray, don't fall asleep, follow the list, and God will show up. When I was in college, I trusted a gut I had and followed God to the only school on my list without a ballet program that I liked. It was indeed the University of Alabama. I'm there in church one day on a Sunday morning asking God why in the world I was in this place. I couldn't dance, so it felt like the love of my life was gone, my greatest joy. What in the world did God want with me at the University of Alabama with 35,000 other students I probably would never know? I felt like God had been nudging me towards ministry at the time, but I needed to know for sure. I needed to get a degree. I needed to get a job, so said my father. But I sacrificed a lot for this gut feeling of going to this school. So I did something rather strange that day. That day in church on Sunday morning, I asked that God would send shivers up and down my spine if indeed he wanted me to go into ministry. It was a strange prayer, I'll admit. It was kind of out there, I'll admit. And in that moment, for the next 35 minutes of the service, shivers up and down. Like God was showing off up and down my spine. So real it felt like someone was dragging their finger down my back. This scent, so strong it filled my consciousness, all my attention, so there was nothing else. Not really that everything was right or I had a plan, but simply the overwhelming knowledge that God is. It was mysterious. Not an answer for the future, not words, just pure presence, a mysterious, overwhelming God is. I've tried that trick again. Why not? When I really need an answer, when I really need encouragement, lately I've climbed that mountain looking for wind and fire, for the finger tracing my spine, needing to know to hear. But as far as I know, it's only worked that one time. Whenever I've reclined that mountain, the mountaintop is empty. Just me and the memory. The mystery of that one time, the mystery of that presence. But maybe, just maybe, 
the mystery and the memory of that is, in fact, enough. You see, this story, it isn't about how to make God show up. There isn't something here you're supposed to do. Maybe that's reassuring to you. If you're watching that overwhelming, earth-shattering lightning and wind and fire and chills present, if you're needing it now and you keep climbing that mountain, keep praying, keep asking, keep looking, and the mountaintop is empty. It's not that you're doing something wrong. The point of this story isn't that God is waiting at the top of the mountaintop and you just need to climb a little bit higher. There is nothing we can do to force God to appear in the way that we want. And I hate that. I hate that. I wish that it were not true. But Christianity is an annoyingly honest religion because it never pretends you can make God appear or speak much like the phone did. We can't force God to give us understanding or force God to give us comfort and strength, force God to bring the lightning, the wind, and the fire, and the chills. The Christian story, it's not a story you can discover and tell yourself. It is a story that discovers you. You simply receive it as a gift. So here's a truth. Every once in a while, we will climb the mountain and something mysterious will happen. Sometimes, every once in a while, maybe once or twice in a lifetime, we will get the wind and the fire, the chills, the brilliant light, the words, that mysterious presence, that sense that declares that God is. I am. I am here. I am. But sometimes, maybe just once or twice in a lifetime, sometimes, the other times, the other times we climb the mountain going down the long road of faith and the mountaintop is empty, except for us and the memory. The author Frederick Beekner tells about how one of his friends died. A week or so later, he and his wife went to spend some time with the widow to help, to be a comfort. Beekner tells how after dinner and conversation, he went to bed, went to sleep, and there in the middle of the night, he says, Suddenly I startled awake, and I looked down in front of the bed where we were sleeping, and there was my friend. And I said, Uh, Teddy? Is that you? And my friend didn't speak, but he smiled as he always smiled. And without a word, he reached down and plucked up a tuft of wool from the carpet. <clears throat> he held it out in his hand in front of me, and then he just let the tuft of wool fall back to the floor, and without a word, he disappeared. Beekner says, I was badly shaken, but somehow managed to go back to sleep. But when I woke up the next morning, I sat up to tell my wife this crazy dream I had last night. It was like Teddy was right here, like he was right here in front of me. So Beekner got out of bed. And he said while he was standing there telling the story to his wife, he looked down right in front of the bed. And he saw a tuft of wool on the carpet. His wife assured him that it was not there the night before. A tuft of wool. It really means nothing. The point is the presence. It's the memory for a moment in that time. 
in that place for a moment, the veil between our world and God's coming world, between our daily lives and the divine presence, a moment where the veil is pulled aside and we see something beyond, something mysterious. We see it. We feel it. We know it. God is. God is. This woman had a son, her first child born with special needs, very special needs. Six months after he was born, her husband left saying, I can't handle this. The church marveled at how well she handled it. She loved that child, what some would see as a burden she saw as a blessing. Nineteen years later, the child having lived a lot longer than the doctors predicted he would live when they finally had the child's funeral, And after the funeral, her pastor said to her, you know you must be the strongest and most resilient person I have ever met. I don't even know how to describe it, but you are incredible. And she said, well, fortunately, I didn't have to do it by myself. Oh? She said, you know, everything changed when Tommy, her son, was seven. But I had a day in which he acted like he was two or three, one tantrum after another, throwing and thrashing and screaming, and finally I said, Tommy, I can't take it anymore. You sit right there in that chair and you look out that window for the garbage man to come, and don't you move from that spot. She walked down the hall and she went to the kitchen and she stood before the sink and thought, man, I cannot do this. I simply cannot continue. But she heard something behind her. She looked down that darkened hall, and Tommy was looking out that window, his mouth wide open with amazement, and he was smiling. And he was looking out that window at the wonder of the garbage man showing up. And the sunlight shone on his face, and I looked down that hall, and he looked like some kind of angel sent by God. And that day I was given a gift of being able to see my son the way God saw him. It was just a glimpse, but it was enough. A mysterious moment. In one sense, it changed nothing at all, but a glimpse where the veil was pulled back and she got to see like God sees. You see, as we prepare for Lent, we're preparing to follow Christ up that mountain. And at the top of that mountain, there is a cross. We are following Christ up to the cross. And I wish, I really wish I could promise you that if you do Lent right, if you walk the steps, if you work really hard, you'll climb that mountain and you'll see it. You'll see the wind and the fire and the chills and the tuft of wool, the privilege of seeing your child or your spouse or yourself like God does. I wish I could promise you that, but I can't. But as we climb that mountain, as we labor through Lent, even if all you find on Easter Sunday is an empty mountaintop, no aha moment, no chills, no wind, no fire, that mountaintop is not empty. There is on that lonely mountaintop a mystery. There was a man crucified, but he is not dead. He is alive, and the rocks on that mountain still whisper about it, about the blood that was spilled, the blood that washes the world clean. 
It's the same broken body and spilled blood that we celebrate at this table. A mystery, a strange celebration, remembering how a man was killed because of our sins. But even if you come forward today and feel nothing at the table but the taste of bread and Walmart grape juice, it is not empty. It's echoing with a mystery, a memory, a mountaintop that once danced with lightning as the face of God shone, was wrapped in a cloud, and a voice shook the rocks. This is my son. Listen to him. The cloud may be gone, the light too. Tuft of wool has been swept away. The chills do not run down my spine. The red-tailed hawk has flown on. The butterfly has left the mountaintop. It might look empty. It might look empty, except for that mystery, the thing we cannot explain, the time when the veil was pulled aside and we felt we knew we saw the mystery that God is. God is. God is, and that mystery is enough. Let us pray. Holy God, we come this morning seeking more of you and more of your presence. And even as we come forward, we know that there will be many empty mountaintops in our faith, that does not deny the fact that you are God and you are holy and you are good and you love us. Wrap us with that mystery today and remind us that you love us and you want to transform our hearts. In your holy name we pray. Amen.